0: Today on Blue 58, nine games down, eight to go in the 2023 Packers season, which means that now is a great time to check in on the Packers' rookies as we head into the home stretch. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the Powersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. I want to talk through the entire rookie class today a little bit more in-depth than we typically go in our post-game check-ins on the rookies, but first... For the first time in a while, I want to take a second and update you on a couple of personnel moves the Packers have made. You've probably seen already a couple of things that have come down the pipe this, this week, but I, I have specific reason I want to mention. Well, two of these three things. The first one that kind of sets one of these others in motion is the Packers released Ennis Gaines. They had elevated him to the 53-man roster three times already this season, but then they decided they were going to go their separate ways after signing him officially to the 53-man roster, as you have to do after you use up those elevations. Mild surprise. They've made a point of hanging on to him over the past few years. He's appeared in 12 games over three seasons, was playing a new role as of the 2022 season and into this year, working more in the slot. 38 snaps there over two seasons, just six this year, but a core special teamer when he's been on the roster, whether he's doing anything on defense or not. But now on the outs in Green Bay, this is the second time the Packers have done something like this so far this year. Patrick Taylor essentially worked the exact same way earlier this season. They used up his elevations, they signed him to the 53, and that was, that was, that was it for him. Releasing Innis Gaines, after signing him to the 53-man roster, opened up a spot for Caillou Blue Kelly, who the Packers added after claiming him on waivers from the Seahawks. He fills Gaines' roster spots. Kelly... Uh, Caillou Blue actually is his first name. According to Packers.com, his dad wanted to name him Blue. His mom wanted to name him something that started with a K. They land on Caillou Blue. As a result, he does not have a middle name. A fun fact for you there. Six feet tall, 198 pounds, 872 relative athletic score, ran a 452 in the 40-yard dash. Elite numbers in the 10- and 20-yard splits, though. Also posted an elite broad jump at nearly 11 feet. A fifth-round pick by the Baltimore Ravens earlier this spring. He was released during final cuts there, then claimed by the Seahawks. Played 38 snaps on special teams for the Seahawks so far this year, just one snap on defense after playing his college ball at Stanford. According to his Stanford bio, his left leg is longer than his right leg. File that away under Fun Facts as well. At Stanford, he was primarily an outside corner, more than 500 snaps there in 2022. He did play 105 snaps in the slot in 2021, a little bit misleading as nearly, well, not nearly, exactly 81 of those snaps came into games. In our pre-draft evaluations, I actually flagged Kelly as somebody the Packers might be interested in because using our rubric, he stood out as what we would identify as a tier three prospect. So he has the, the, um, athleticism that we're looking for but was a little bit well let me just put it this way he had 28 ball hawks over his college career which is something that we we want guys to do want to make want to have them make plays on the ball 23 passes defense that's pretty good however of the 28 corners in our sample he ranked 26th in coverage grade for his final college season not so great coverage grade comes via pro football focus You know, gives an idea how well you are covering opposing receivers, and well, he was not one of the better cover corners among the guys that we looked at last spring. The bottom line is, I think it's interesting that they got this guy. Expectations are pretty low. Uh, He's a fifth-round pick who's already had two teams give up on him. Fill in the rest for yourself. You probably can figure out what that means. For your files very information, he's wearing number 24 for the Packers. So just keep that in mind if he happens to pop up on your radar this coming Sunday. The Packers also signed Austin GK to their practice squad. Six foot two, 223 pound prospect, originally a Denver Broncos undrafted free agent. Uh, so second Packers player to follow that pipeline to Green Bay. Emmanuel Wilson was also a member of the Denver Broncos very, very briefly. Seven seven six. Relative athletic score out of UNLV, a 4.640-yard dash, good jumping numbers, 38 and a half inch vertical, for instance, probably a special teamer at best. However, along the lines of Caillou Blue, it's just fun to say. You could call him Kelly, but why would you not go with Caillou Blue if you have a chance to talk about him? A GK, kind of along the lines of Kelly, might be a guy that they're grabbing with an eye on the future. These eight games, sure, where he'll be on the practice squad and Kelly will be on the active roster, are one thing, but they're probably looking further down the road with both of these signings because we're starting to get into the territory of the year where you start nabbing guys that are going to end up signing futures contracts to stay in Green Bay through the offseason so they'll be a part of next year's training camp. If a GK can be a part of the Packers' short-term picture, you might start to see him or guys like him sign those futures deals so he can be a part of their offseason roster and hang around in training camp next year. Speaking of young guys, as I said in the intro, I figured it was a good time to take a look at, um, the Packers rookie class. One of our regular discord customers who has recently changed his name in our discord server. So it won't even bother trying to we'll just call him Ray uh, Ray recently asked in our discord server, um, for a more in-depth look at Lucas Van Ness, which I thought was a good idea. But then I figured, why stop there? Let's look at every rookie the Packers have really been involved with so far this year. Because we do post-game check-ins on each of the rookies, just kind of listing off their stats and how we thought they'd played, you know, in a given game. But I think it's time to look a little bit more in-depth at what everybody has been doing so far this season. The class overall, I think, is 15 players strong. You can slice it differently, you know, actual contributors, small-time players, Whatever, if you want. But the Packers have eleven draft picks and four undrafted free agent rookies on the roster. We should probably add Caillou Blue Kelly in there going forward if he spends time on the active roster. But suffice it to say there are a lot of a lot of rookies on the roster. And those are the thirteen of those fourteen guys are people that we've been looking at regularly. I thought we should take a look at basically how many snaps they've played so far, our general feeling about where they are at this point in the season, then what we want to see from them the rest of the way this season. And everything starts with Lucas Van Ness up front. 209 snaps so far this season on defense, 50 snaps for Lucas Van Ness, the Packers' first pick in the draft this year on special teams. Generally, I feel like Mr. Van Ness has been mostly invisible this year. I think if you want to say he's put together some flashes, that would be about accurate. He's had tackles for loss in each of his last two games, and he notched his second quarterback hit of the season against the Rams last week, well, two weeks ago at this point. Other than that, it's been a pretty quiet rookie year for Lucas Van Ness. He's always been a developmental prospect, but the extent to which he's been developing has been mostly not showing up in basically any stats. The counting stats, box score stuff, advanced stuff, he hasn't been making much of a splash. So what do we want to see from Lucas the rest of the way? I think a strong finish is really what it all boils down to, and that, I think, can be broken down into two categories. The first is on the team side. The Packers just need to play him more. He has yet to play more than 50% of the snaps in a given game. And looking at the rest of the edge rusher room, we've got Rashawn Gary, sure, but Preston Smith is not the future on the edge. J.J. Inigbari is not who you want to be your future. I think it's time to sink or swim with Lucas Van Ness and you owe it to yourself to get him more snaps just because you want to see a little bit more about what he can do. Then on Van Ness's side of this equation, you need to see some more production. So far this year, he has just seven pressures on 105 pass rushes. That's a pressure rate of 6.67% near the bottom of the Packers edge rusher and defensive line group. He's got just one pressure so far this year on 41 rushes on true pass sets. So again, just a refresher, that's passing plays not including screens, bootlegs, and play-action passes. So it's just straight drop-back passing. He's got just one pressure on 41 attempts, a 2.44% rate on true pass sets, pressure rate on true pass sets. Just for comparison, Rashawn Gary, who also didn't get just overly many opportunities as a rookie, had a pressure rate on true pass sets well above 14%, nearly 15%. Van Ness has a long way to go. And the Packers need to start seeing what he can be already here at the end of the first season because the first season has not gone particularly well for Van Ness, even understanding that he is a developmental prospect. They need to start seeing him develop a little bit more. Luke Musgrave, next draft pick up. 413 snaps on offense so far this year, 65 on special teams. Of the non-linemen and Jordan Love on offense, because they're playing almost every snap of of the game unless something either goes wrong or things go really well and you start pulling guys just to give people more reps, of the non-linemen and quarterbacks, only Romeo Dobbs has played more snaps than Luke Musgrave on offense for the Packers. Generally, I feel like he's finding his footing. It's been a little bit up and down this season. There have been some ugly plays. There have been some plays where he just seems to fall down for no reason. But, pun or no pun, he does seem to be finding his footing here over the past couple weeks. He's had at least 51 yards receiving in each of the last two weeks, including his first touchdown. He also has been used downfield more often. The rest of the way, I just want to see more of the same. We want to see the arrow pointing up in the receiving game, so just continue to do what you're doing here. We want to see him continue to improve as a blocker. According to Pro Football Focus, However, you want to take their grades, two of his best four-run blocking games have come in the past four weeks. I also want to see him detached from the formation more. The Packers really want him to be an inline, traditional wide tight end. I just don't understand that thinking. Just let him do what he's good at. You drafted him because he can do those things blocking is never going to be the primary function for Luke Musgrave. Just let him be the big, fast slot and, well, outside receiver that he can be. So let's see him more in the slot or out wide. Generally speaking, that has been trending up. About 40% of his snaps each of the last two weeks have been detached from the formation, either in the slot or out wide. I think that's in the right direction, but I think you want to be more like 45-50, maybe even above that in terms of of him being on the outside. Just, you know, my thoughts, but I think that seems to be what would suit him the best. Next on the list, we've got Jaden Reed, who the Packers picked up after a couple of trades back in this spring's draft. He's played 326 snaps on offense so far this year, 10 on special teams. I feel like we are getting the full Jaden Reed experience his rookie year. He can go deep, he's I think the Packers leader in explosive plays right now he's he's certainly near the top. He can do stuff in the in the short game. He can do the gadget stuff, he can make plays as a runner. He just does a little bit of everything. And understanding that rookie wide receivers generally have a pretty low bar, I think he's met it. And I think he's done about everything the Packers could have asked him to do so far this year with the possible exception of some contested catches, but I don't think contested catches should be something you're really asking Jaden Reed to do anyway. I think he adds a lot of interesting stuff to the offense. And I think like even the explosive plays have been great. And that's not even his, like getting down the field shouldn't be his primary usage. I think you're looking at him primarily as a short and intermediate guy, but he's gotten stuff done down the field. For the rest of the year, I just want him to keep building on that sort of thing. He's been more consistent as the season has gone on, so let's see a little bit more of it. I would say I've probably seen about enough of Jaden Reed as a punt returner. It's been a little bit of an adventure at times. And I just think that if Keyshawn Nixon can do the job, there's no reason to put that additional thing on Jaden Reed's plate. After a couple, you know, early successes, it just seems like he's fallen off a little bit. There's been a little bit of uncertainty fielding the ball back there. I think we just let Keyshawn Nixon do that for the rest of the season, maybe revisit that next season. In the third round pick, the Packers added Tucker Kraft, who has played 175 snaps on offense so far this year, 94 on special teams. I kind of have vague feelings about Tucker Kraft. Vaguely, I feel like he is doing better. Specifically, we can say he is playing more. He has only played fewer than 20 snaps once in each of the last four weeks and that time was 19 snaps. He really hasn't ever been super involved in the passing game, but I think that's fine. If the Packers picked Musgrave and Kraft with the intention of playing more 12 personnel, I think you want him as the inline guy in that sort of alignment anyway. And he's played there basically exclusively when he's been on the field, no more than five snaps in the slot or wide in a given week. I think the rest of the way we just want to see him on the field more. He and Luke Musgrave are the future, so let them be the present. And I think we are seeing that already as Josiah DeGuara's star continues to fall. I still believe in you, Josiah. Okay, maybe I, I don't that much anymore, but I still believe in the idea. Maybe not even that so much anymore, but it was a fun idea a few years ago. Now it's not really anything, but well, maybe the less said about Josiah DeGuara, the better. Colby Wooden. 174 snaps on defense so far this season, nine on special teams, not much of a special teamer, Mr. Wooden. Generally, I think he was one of my least favorite picks from the 2023 class, or at this point he is. I think at the time we said a lot about his versatility and the ways that he was used all over in college. There's a different way of looking at that. On the one hand, you can say he was versatile, But on the other hand, you could kind of just say he didn't really have much of a role in college, and that is carried over to Green Bay. It isn't super clear what the Packers want him to be. I mean, they want him to be an interior rusher, but he's not playing just tons, and he doesn't seem super effective when he is on the field. Put it a different way, versatility can sometimes mean that you're actually just not good at anything, but you're athletic enough or big enough or something enough that they just have to keep putting you on the field. So they just try you at a whole bunch of different things. I don't think he has the size to be an interior rusher. That seems to be where the Packers want him, specifically on stunts. But at 274 pounds, his listed weight at least, I just don't think he's big enough. However, that having been said, his pass rush numbers are not necessarily bad. His pressure rate is 11.39%. So far this year, his pressure rate on true pass sets is 12.5%. Those numbers rank third and fifth on the team, respectively. On his base pressure rate, the only guys ahead of him are Rashawn Gary and Devontae Wyatt. I don't know what specifically that means. I don't know if that's a a fake number, as sometimes stats can be. Maybe there's more to it that shows that he's just getting all these pressures or the pressures that he is getting are kind of coming on on schemed-up looks and things like that. It wouldn't be the first time a case like that is played out. But they're good enough that I don't think you can just dismiss him out of hand. So the rest of the way, let me throw this out there. I want to get crazy with Colby Wooden and play him other places. I want to play him on the edge, for starters. I don't foresee that happening, but he did it in college, and he's virtually the same size as Preston Smith or maybe a Darius Smith, stand him up on the edge, let him rush the passer from there. If, if he's an athletic big dude, but he's too small to play as a defensive tackle or three technique or even on the nose where they've put him a couple of times for who knows why, he's athletic enough to at least try on the edge. If Mike Neal and Dayton Jones could get reps as an edge rusher, surely we can try the, the same with Colby Wooden one of your day three draft picks who hasn't exactly lit the world on fire as, you know, a pure defensive lineman. Just try some different things. If we're going to have a guy who doesn't really have a job, well, that means that you can give him a whole bunch of different ones. Just try some different things. I'm not sure Joe Barry is the guy to, to be that kind of creative. Shoot, Joe, you may be on the last eight games of your contract here. We don't know that for sure. But you might as well try some stuff. Who knows? Maybe the Packers go on a run here because of some exceptionally good defensive play. Maybe they take down the Chargers. Maybe they take down the Chiefs. And suddenly you're Joe Barry saying, hey, you know, maybe I'm a free agent next year. Maybe you want to give me another three-year contract. And maybe since you did it once, you can talk Matt Lafleur into doing it again. On offense, we've got Sean Clifford. We don't have to say a whole whole bunch about Sean Clifford because he's only played five snaps on offense so far. I don't have a lot to say here. Some people really want Sean Clifford to say. Respectfully, I would say those people are wrong. The point of this year is to evaluate Jordan Love. You owe it to yourself to at least give him a season to do that. And he's probably going to get most of next year, no matter how badly it goes, regardless. If you really think that Sean Clifford can play, you're still going to have two years of Sean Clifford starting in 2025 if Jordan Love's attempt at becoming the Packers' starting quarterback really goes badly. And the Packers really aren't going to be in a, a great position to compete financially until 2025 anyway. So what's the rush? I think we just want more of the same from Sean Clifford. If he gets in there as a human victory cigar in a couple of games, or if things really go badly against the the Chargers or the Lions on Thanksgiving or the Chiefs or some other team with the capability of just nuking the Packers one of these weeks. Okay, fine, whatever. But we're evaluating Jordan Love. There will be plenty of time to take a look at Sean Clifford or somebody like Sean Clifford at some point in the future. Also on offense, we've got Dontavian Wicks. Dontavian Wicks. 250 snaps on offense so far this year. One snap on special team, unless I wrote that down incorrectly. Generally, I feel pretty good about where Wicks is at so far. As I said, I think on on one of the the post-game podcasts, if there's one prediction from our preseason work that I feel really good about, it's that Dontavian Wicks would be the guy that everyone was asking for more reps for by the end of the season. And we're at the midway point or a little past it, and we're there. He's always been kind of a mystery guy that has slowly grown. He looks now like what Malik Heath looked like in the preseason, a guy who looks the part as a receiver and just gets things done out on the field. So I want more snaps for him the rest of the way. He's actually playing fewer snaps now by percentage on a week-to-week basis than he was at the start of the season. Let's bump those numbers up a little bit and see a little bit more of the Don Tavion Wick show. That's going to come at the expense of snaps, probably of a guy like Romeo Dobbs or Christian Watson. Do I hear a lot of argument to the contrary? given how how those guys have played so far this year, Dobbs is scoring a lot of touchdowns, but other than that, it's it's not on a play-to-play basis been super super good for the Packers. He certainly hasn't been much better than Wicks on a play-to-play basis. Let's just see what Wicks can do. Sticking our skipping back over to defense, let's talk about Carl Brooks, the other Packers rookie defensive lineman. He actually has out-snapped Wooden so far this year, 216 snaps on defense, 56 on special teams including one play where he got a blocked field goal. I would say he's a fun surprise so far this year. He's kind of like, I don't know, you go order fast food takeout or something and they throw in some extra fries. A nice, pleasant surprise that's really not going to change all that much of your experience. I was pretty high on him coming out. And when I'm high on a guy, my general feeling about that guy when he pans out is one of surprise. Not confidence, not, hey, I know what I'm doing here. It's more like, I can't believe I got one right. And that's kind of been the Brooks experience so far this year. Not to say he's been overly spectacular because I don't think he has been, but he's been active and he's gotten results. Between him and Wooden, you've kind of got an interesting split between different kinds of productivity. Colby Wooden is getting pressures more more consistently and winning on some of the advanced numbers. Wooden has, but Brooks is winning on the counting stats. Wooden has no sacks and just one quarterback hit so far this year, but he's got a higher pressure rate and a higher pressure rate on true pass sets. Brooks, meanwhile, has two sacks and two quarterback hits, but he's below Wooden on both of those other numbers. However, and I think this is the key to the Wooden versus Brooks debate, such as it is, I don't think there's a lot of people sitting down and being like, We really got to figure out which of these two guys, which of these two day three defensive linemen is really the key to being the Packers' third or maybe fourth defensive lineman in 2023. I I don't think that's, that's where a lot of people's heads are at. But if you're comparing the two, look at the reps on those true pass sets. Brooks has 80 reps in true pass set situations. Wooden has just 32. What you can take from that is that when the Packers want actual pass rushers on the field, They're looking for Carl Brooks more often than they're looking for Colby Wooden, and that feels significant. Other numbers aside, when the Packers want to rush the passer, they look at Carl Brooks more than they look at Colby Wooden. So let's just see a little bit more of that the rest of the way. Real easy one for our next guy up, Anders Carlson. We don't have to talk about his snaps. When the Packers are kicking off or kicking a field goal, it's Anders Carlson. When it's any other play, it's not Anders Carlson. That's simple enough for you? I think probably so. My general feeling on Carlson is that on the one hand, it's been great. On the other hand, I can't help myself and I feel like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because he's been 13 of 15 on field goals so far this year, which is good. He's been two for two on field goal attempts from 50 plus, which is as good as you can ask for. Short of getting more attempts and making more attempts, you can't be better than perfect. He has had the one PAT blocked not really his fault. We've all seen the video of Josiah Deguara by this point. What are you doing, Josiah? In any case, it seems like this is a stark contrast to where Carlson was in training camp when things were not going well. Seemingly, every day there was the report that things were just, well, that he was stinking up the place in training camp, and he seems to have leveled out once things have settled down. I don't know what you'd attribute that to, but I'm just glad that he has. So just more of the same, please, the rest of the way and since we can't just say can't say anything other than just, you know, keep making the kicks because that's all a kicker is really expected to do, here's a fun fact for you. Anders Carlson and his brother Daniel Carlson have nearly identical hang times on kickoffs this year. Daniel Carlson is averaging 3.93 seconds of hang time so far this year. Anders Carlson is averaging 3.92 seconds, just 1/100th one of a second of difference between the two Carlson kickers. I only looked that stat up because last year Mason Crosby's one of his big issues was not being able to really get any distance on his on his kickoffs. His 2022 average hang time was 3.59 seconds. So a little more than a third of a second better for Anders Carlson this year than Mason Crosby last year. We've got two more draft picks to talk about, both on the defensive side of the ball, both defensive backs. Carrington Valentine is the first up, 262 snaps so far this season on defense, 66 on special teams. The general feeling for me is that he's just battling out there. Grade-wise, he's been up and down, according to Pro Football Focus, which is basically, I think, what you'd expect from a rookie out there. One thing is for sure, though, about Carrington Valentine, he does not back down from anybody, and that even comes through on the TV, you know, the broadcast stuff. He will chatter with anybody. He will get in anybody's face. He's not going to just sit here and, and say to himself, well, I'm a seventh round pick, so I just I better just keep my head down and do my work. Like He he acts like he's Jair Alexander out there, like he uh, is a highly paid, highly touted cornerback, and he's putting up maximum effort on every rep. Well, most reps. Um, I don't know if everybody can be perfect all the time, but he's at least given it his all just about every week. So just let's see a little bit more of that. Going to be a tough one this week. Uh, one of my big questions about the Packers against the Chargers is who's going to handle Keenan Allen. It's one thing for the Packers to have a good game pass defense-wise against Brett Ripon and the Rams. It's another thing to slow down Kenny Pickett and his crew, even if, if uh, George Pickens is a pretty solid receiver. It's going to be something entirely different to slow down Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, Allen being a 10,000-yard career receiver who's coming off an 11-catch, 175-yard, two-touchdown game. We're, we're going up against a different caliber of passing attack, attack this week, I guess is the point. So who's going to get Allen? Is it going to be Valentine? Is it going to be Corey Valentine? We'll find out. And can they do the job? That's the much bigger question. Finally, Anthony Johnson Jr., 72 snaps on defense so far this year, almost all in the past two or three weeks, 24 snaps on special teams. I don't have much to say about Johnson. He's been out there. I think this was kind of inevitable that he was going to get more of a look this year. It comes at the expense of Darnell Savage, who's been injured, but it may have come at his expense anyway because Johnson is under contract for four years and Savage is under contract for one. I think just the rest of the way in addition to seeing well seeing him continue to get reps it's more of a perspective thing. Yes, he is another option at safety which is good, but we got to remember that he is a work in progress and a 7th round pick. He switched positions from cornerback to safety in college already and he's still figuring out that position. He's going to need some time to make that adjustment both position-wise and NFL competition-wise getting reps is the real thing for him the rest of the way. Now, the Packers have four undrafted free agents who have been, well, a part of the picture so far this year. Emmanuel Wilson is first on our list, the guy who's gotten the most reps, 30 snaps on offense, maybe not opportunities, you know, maybe not pure plays, but he's gotten the most like actual, you know, he's gotten to touch the ball the most. Let's put it that way. 30 snaps on offense, two on special teams, I don't know if I have a general feeling about how he's played. His 31-yard run was nice, should have stayed in bounds. But other than that, I think it's kind of gravy for him. He took down Patrick Taylor. He stuck on the 53. He held off James Robinson, if you want to throw that in in there. As far as his rookie season goes, I think he's just got to make sure he holds on to that roster spot because we're we're playing with house money at this point. Throw in that he overcame, you know, had some injury issues in there. Uh but he held off draft pick Lou Nichols, uh, sixth round pick for the Packers this past spring, not on the roster currently. Uh, And that is partly because Emmanuel Wilson played so well in the preseason. The Packers didn't feel like they needed to try to do some roster maneuvering to keep Lou Nichols around. They got the guy that they wanted in Wilson, and he has held off a bunch of other challengers. Next up is Brenton Cox, four snaps on defense, five on special teams so far this year. He's been the stash player this season. Credit to Paul Bredel of the various outlets he's a part of uh, for sniffing that one out. He is the first one, I think, to really introduce the idea that the Packers might just be inclined to, to hold on to him, much like they did with uh, Caleb Jones and Rashid Walker last year. They just want to hang on to him. So I think the rest of the way, we just want to see a flash of anything. If he gets on the field, if he's active for another game, let's see just one pass rush rep and with the pressure. Give us an appetizer for 2024, since that seems to have been the point the entire time here anyway, for him to be a part of the Packers in 2024. Let's see a little bit of what we're looking forward to. Finally, Ben Sims. Of the undrafted free agents, he's actually played by far the most snaps. And we skipped right over Malik Heath, I see here. So I'll have to go back up and talk about Malik Heath in a second. So maybe not finally Ben Sims, uh, but Sims, forty-six snaps on offense, forty-four on special teams. If the other undrafted guys were fun training camp stories, or you know the latest in the um, Packers' long legacy of you know undrafted free agents making an impact, Sims is more like found money. He ended up on the waiver wire after the the Vikings cut him at the end of camp. The Packers just happened to have a need at tight end, especially for a tight end who could do the things that Sims could do after Tyler Davis went down with his torn ACL. He's come in, and he's been basically what Tyler Davis was, a guy who cameos on offense every now and then, but mostly does special team stuff, and he's starting to get more special teams reps, I think, as you see Josiah DeGuara again, his star continues to descend. Sims' special team snaps have been trending up, so I think we're just going to look to see more from him on special teams for the rest of the season. Finally, Malik Heath. I said finally, Ben Sims. Finally, finally, Malik Heath. 60 snaps on offense for Heath so far this year, 23 on special teams. I am of mixed feelings about him. On the one hand, I'm a little disappointed. On the other hand, I'm disappointed that I'm disappointed because I should really know better than to be super excited about a guy who's really going to be like the seventh of seven wide receivers on the depth chart anyway. He was a fun training and historian training camp, but the odds of him being a big contributor this year or any kind of contributor this year were long. It is interesting that he started to be active ahead of Samori Toure, which probably says something about both of their prospects for 2024. But the rest of the way for Heath, all I want as a fan and for him is one catch just one catch, because he's already got an unfortunate record, which is most targets in Packers history without a catch. No other player in Packers history has had more than four targets in a season without a catch. Heath has five. We just need to get him one catch the rest of the way, get him out of the zero column in the catch part of the stat block, and just get him one, one catch the rest of the way, help him build towards something. That's it. Maybe that's a, a nice note to end on in terms of where the bar for expectations is, is the rest of the way. All we need to see is one catch from Malik Heath over the next eight games, and we'll have it checked at least one thing off the list. I think he's going to do it. I believe he can do it. It's just that, you know, he was, we probably got a little bit out over our collective skids talking about. Um, about Malik Heath's training camp impact and, and the things that he was doing. It was an exciting story, though. Um, and he, he still is a you know a, a nice, big, goon-type receiver for Matt LaFleur, so you never know. Anything can happen for these young guys, especially over the last half of a season. That's becoming increasingly about evaluation anyway. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.